On Father's Day, we stop to remember with gratitude every man that we have been blessed to have in our life who has shown us something of the Heavenly Father's love for us. That's really what Father's hallmark ideas aside, that's what, as followers of Jesus, Father's Day really means to us. People who have shown us, even in spite of their imperfections, I know I'm an imperfect dad, I pray that somehow there still shines through something of the Heavenly Father's love to my kids. I think that every dad hopes for that. So we think of the men on this day who just loved us unselfishly the way God loves us unselfishly. Those men who have sought our welfare even above their own. We think of the men who have taught us what it means to live with integrity in the face of temptation. Uh, we think of the, of the guys in our lives who have taught us how to live with honor even when nobody's watching, even when the, the paparazzi, the, the lens of, of public attention isn't on them, they're living out uh, their beliefs, their creed with integrity. Uh, we remember those men whose strong hands picked us up when we fell down and uh, who stepped in to defend us when we were in danger, maybe warning us from a danger. We think of guys whose brave heart, frankly, would have bled itself to death if that was what was necessary to deliver us from evil. We think of every man that has shown us something of the Heavenly Father's kind of love uh, for us. Uh, these are the kind of fathers some of us were privileged to have. Uh, some of you in this room, you had a dad who just did this. I mean, again, flaws I'm sure were there, but, but again and again, the Heavenly Father's love came through his life. This is the kind of man that most of us guys are striving to be, at least on our best days. That's, this is the kind of guy we want to be. We want to have this kind of benevolent influence upon everybody else that, that, that we touch. And, and these are also the kind of men that we hope our boys, if we have them, or that we are blessed to, to coach and to mentor in other ways, we hope they will become uh, men like that as well. But, but here, I think, is where the challenging truth uh, enters into the picture uh, of these aspirations. Because I think it is getting more and more difficult to become that kind of a man in today's world. I think it is harder and harder to become a man like the Heavenly Father's, uh, filled with the Heavenly Father's love in the world we have today. And I think one of the reasons, maybe the principal reason why, is because the hearts of boys and of men are under attack today in an unprecedented way. Um, and I, and I hope that you will hear what I'm going to say today as I unpack the teaching of Jesus here is not as not a further attack on men, but, but an identification as a, as a guy with, with one of the most insidious difficulties that, that men, men face, that it's sort of every man's battle. Men are under, are under attack at a force and with a fury unknown to previous generations. People of both genders... And I'll underline that in a moment further. But especially men are being bombarded now with images and ideas and invitations whose cumulative effect is to shape a heart not of love like our Heavenly Father, but a heart of lust like Jesus warns about in this text. That our entire culture, in a sense, 
is working to develop not this heart that we've been talking about when we describe God's love, but a very different kind of heart a, that, that goes by this biblical word lust. Uh, it's really a classic word, lust. Now, it, it is not a stretch to say that the lust industry is thriving today. It probably is our most rapidly expanding economic sector. I mean, I think you could make a case for that. Um, marketers have always known, of course, that sex sells. Uh, this, is not, this is not new. You'd have to have been living in Amish country, however, not to have noticed that those marketers have stepped up the use of that particular um, invitation or that uh, impulse. Uh, we see it so much more today in our mainstream magazines than we ever did before. It's there more in our movies and our television shows. These, these, things, these, these vehicles or environments now are, are being used to fire up our hormonal energies uh, far more than even the wildest popular media of a generation ago was doing. A trip down the magazine aisle at the airport or at Walgreens is a titillating adventure these days. It can be an exhilarating, kind of upsetting experience. Just down a regular magazine aisle in a way that was unthinkable even a generation ago. The lyrics of popular music today among teenage boys. I got three teenage boys. So I'm really maybe especially aware of what is being listened to out there today. Uh, but those lyrics are so sexualized and are so raunchy in, in a way that was, again, inconceivable in an earlier generation. You, you've seen the music videos. How many of you have seen the music videos? I don't think I probably even need to make a case about what's going on in those, those images. Right? I mean, it's different. It's a new thing. Now, it's not entirely new. Um, according to the U.S. News and World Report, even back in the 1970s, Americans were spending some $10 million on pornography annually, um, even back in the, in the 70s. By 2012, however, that number had gone to over $10 billion a year, from $10 million to $10 billion dollars a year, that is a thousand-fold increase in spending on these images. Uh, pornographic websites now comprise 12% of the entire internet. 12% of the internet. 25%, one quarter of all search engine requests on the internet are for pornography. 70% of men aged 18 to 34 visit a porn site in a typical month, according to pretty substantiated research. 70% in that age window are going there. 90% of children ages 8 to 16 have viewed pornography. The largest consumers are boys 12 to 17 years of age. And it is not just a male issue anymore. According to at least one study, one in six women struggles with some kind of addiction or issue with this stuff too. Um, the, uh, and I, Although I don't know it's always photographic, it can be narrative, 
I, I know that the top three books on the New York Times bestseller list right now are this very lusty trilogy predominantly bought by, I hate to say it, women, by gals. This is, this is an indication that it's not just a guy issue. We have become sexualized in a, in a remarkably accelerating kind of way. So let me speak for those who might be wondering, even as I say these things, is this really so bad? I mean, is this really that much of a problem? Um, I mean, what is wrong with a little lust? Um, is it all that much of a problem? If you, if you do a little looking and a, look, a little leering, so much as, as long as you don't stray physically outside of the privacy of your home or the literal bounds of your marriage, is that, I mean, really, is that, is that such a, a problem? Can't there be some compassion here for all of those people who, who may be resorting to pornographic images because of youthful hormones? We're marrying later and later now. So, I mean, come on, give, let's give, give some slack to, to people. Or, or, or maybe there are people just living with such terrible loneliness or there's a very bad home life. I mean, can't we be a little more charitable towards those kinds of life situations? Why is Jesus, some people might ask, who, who, who lived such a full-bodied life amongst lots of red-blooded men? And remember, Jesus didn't hang around with clergy, although clergy have struggles in this area too. Um, but Jesus hung around with just regular guys, red-blooded guys. So why does Jesus suddenly, here in this text, become so specific in his warnings to us on this particular subject? Well, let me try and offer some thoughts to you about this and see where they lead you. See, see, see what, in spite of that recognized context, they lead you. First of all, I think it's important to understand that while real love can and often does contain a lot of intense bodily passion... It's one of the extraordinary gifts that happens in marriage. Lust, as the Bible defines it, is not the same as that. It's not the same as this kind of bo intense bodily passion that goes on, uh, you know, between uh, this covenanted couple. Um, lust, as the Bible defines it, is the opposite of love, actually. It's just the, the anti-love. In some ways. I'm going to show you how that is true. Let me just try and break that down. Love is about what I can give to another. Okay? Love is about how do I serve? How do I bring joy, pleasure, help to another? Love is, is motivated by seeking not its own way, its own aggrandizement. It's, it's aimed at, at what I can give to another. While lust is really organized around what I can get from the other. What they can do for me. Right? What, what that person going by, what that image on the page, what it's going to do my direction. Love sees others as objects to be cherished, to be discovered, to be supported, to be known. Um, 
lust sees others very often as objects to be used. In fact, it, 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 the characteristic of lust is that we don't see this amazing creature of God going by, this daughter or son of the living God walking by. We see an object that might bring us pleasure. Um, lust seeks, or rather love seeks, commitment and consistency. Uh, even when it's had its passionate engagement with someone, it's not done with that person. It wants to know more and, and experience more and, and travel more and, and, and uh, adventure more with this particular person. Lust, on the other hand, wants to, wants to move on. Lust thrives on novelty and variety. It, it just wants the new thing. Love labors to protect the vulnerable. It sees somebody that's weak, that's... that's, that's ex- exploited in some way, and it wants to move in there and, and solve that situation. Lust goes the other direction. Lust often is aimed, is, is okay with exploiting the vulnerable. And uh, I work in a, in, in a television news magazine, magazine ministry as a volunteer on the side, and we've done programs on people caught up in the sex industry. Trust me, these women, and sometimes men, are very vulnerable people. They, the stories of their lives, what has happened to them since childhood, it, it's brought them to the place where they are now. They are terribly... They need somebody to be for them, not using them. Not using them. Lust, or rather love, moves us towards community. It drives us towards community. Uh, the ultimate image of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He calling, keeps calling us into the community. We did this with the baptism of the children today, right? That's what love does. It wants people to experience supportive, loving community. Lust, on the other hand, drives us into deeper solitude. Into deeper and deeper solitude. Love is about communing, and lust is about consuming others and maybe even ourselves. And I want to apologize to the people sitting on this side of the room, because I've just been pointing at you every time. (laughs) It's just drawing the contrast, okay? I mean, does this make sense? Do you see how this kind of typology works? Um, now, which of those two orientations, if it, if it really takes root in a culture, okay, and becomes sort of the dominant voice in the culture, which of those orientations is going to produce better people in societies? Can we bring back that image up again, John? Which of those, which of those is going to bring produce better people and, and societies. Um, how many think it's lust? Lust, will that will help us. We will advance as a society. Okay. All right. Which of those two orientations do you see advancing most in our society, growing, prospering most in our society? Yeah, lust. It, it's, on the, it's on the grow. It's on the rise in our society. And I think that's maybe what Jesus is really begging us to pay attention to um, in this text today. The second fact I'd like to invite us to reckon with this morning is that where it is encouraged, lust often leads to engagements that are not constructive in in the development of a human life, often to premature sexual engagements. In other words, before a person has got all the machinery necessary to really handle the complexity of this kind of a, of, of a capacity, uh, they're driven in that direction. I, I came across an amazing study recently. 
It was in Pediatrics Journal. It followed the lives of 1,461 12 to 17-year-olds, and most of whom at the start of the study, and it followed them for three years, at the start of the study, most of them not sexually active. At the end of the study, many of these kids were engaged in, in promiscuous hookups of one kind or another. That what was particularly illuminating, however, was that the, of those teens who were regularly listening to music with raunchy, sex-soaked lyrics, 51% of them were now engaged in these relationships. 51% of, of the ones who were listening to this kind of music. Those, of those kids that were not listening to that kind of music, 29% were involved. Almost ha- half as much as those listening to the music. Natasha Ramsey, who's a student who edits a Rutger University website on teenage sexual health, says, teens will try and deny it. They will say, no, it's not the music. Natasha says, it is the music. (laughs) It is. It has one of the biggest impacts on our lives. The simple truth is that the culture of lust in which our kids today and we ourselves are living is driving us into physical entanglements that have spiritual and emotional and practical consequences before some of us are ready for them or understand even what we are unleashing. And it is part of a father's role to help kids see that and to be clear about that. It's part of what a dad needs to do. It's what I'm chasing again this week. I need to be, be more conversational about this with my own kids. Thirdly, the culture of lust that is so prevalent today hampers people for real-life relationships. I mean, it's not helping us because it is actually hampering our our, our ability to relate in a normal way to, to, to one another. In a CNN special just last month, maybe some of you saw it, world-renowned psychologist Dr. Philip Zimbardo expressed his worry that the excessive use of video games and online porn is, and I quote, creating a generation of risk-averse guys. In the controlled environment of the video game or the porn world, they're all right. But in the real world, they're risk-averse. They're nervous. They're scared. They're insecure. And they're unable and often now unwilling because they have this other supply source to navigate the complexities and the risks that are inherent to real-life relationships and school and employment. And Zimbardo fears that young men in particular are being digitally rewired in a new way that demands constant stimulation. Lost in their virtual worlds, they are becoming less and less capable than previous generations on the whole were of relating confidently or compassionately to flesh and blood women. Wow. That's really, that's serious. That's something we need to, to, to be talking about, I think, in our families and in our communities more and more. We know, fourthly, that this kind of dependence on virtual intimacy has implications in the home. And the big idea here is is unbridled lust can severely hurt families. Um, In December of 2009, the Family Research Council released the findings of a whole new study that was exploring the effects 
of Pornography on Marriage, Family, and Children. And um, citing the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers as its source, which, by the way, is not a faith-based organization, from what I can tell, the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers. But citing that academy, the study notes that 56% of divorce cases today involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites and not being able to break free from it, even in cases where both husband and wife agreed that the lust addiction amounted to a form of adultery, a tainting of the marital covenant, uh, as, as Jesus talks about it. Did you hear that number? 56%. And I will tell you as a pastor, I hear these stories a lot. And I have female pastors on our team who hear more of them. And, and, and in conversations with guy friends, I know this is, this is such a difficult struggle area. And, and we're aware it's, it's, it's ravaging our families. Reacting to these and other issues uncovered by the study, that Dr. Pat Fagan of the Family Research Council concludes the fact that marriage rates are dropping steadily today is well known. But the impact of pornography use and its correlation to fractured families has been little discussed in our society. The data shows that as pornography sales increase, the marriage rate drops. Pornography corrodes the conscience, it promotes distrust between husbands and wives, and it debases untold thousands of young women. It is a quiet family killer, uh, says Dr. Fagan. And you know what is particularly ironic about this? It's, it's that at the end of the day, this lust that, that we're being constantly pushed to indulge, this lust that we're constantly encouraged to nurture, does not ultimately satisfy. It does not ultimately satisfy. Uh, there was an incredible article recently in Men's Health magazine. Guys, you ever picked that one up? It's... Uh, it's one of those ones we might shy away from because it's always got a guy with perfect abs like we do not have on the cover of it. But Greg Gutfield puts it this way in an article in Men's Health. What makes sex online far more compelling than any shrink-wrapped smut of an earlier era is instant gratification in endless variety. You never get to the end of the magazine and have to start looking at the same pictures again. With old porn, says Gutfield, once you've viewed it, you've consumed it. You've chewed the flavor out of the gum. This cannot be done on the internet. The gum never runs out of flavor. A new piece of flesh waits behind every old one, and, ex and the expectation bids you to go further, much further. Because as long as there's more to come, you keep on going there. This is all so new, says Gutfield. No stimulus like this ever existed before. Man, we are in new territory here in human civilization. No generation before us has ever had to face the ancient battle with the deadly sin of lust at the level we have to today. And our sons have to battle with this today because this seducing stuff is dazzling, private, and available on demand everywhere. It is a new world. 
So what are we going to do in the face of it? What can we do? What are we going to say as fathers to our teenage sons or as mentors and brothers to other people? How do we move from lust toward love? Jesus had some thoughts on this. And to put it bluntly, Jesus said that it means mustering up the guts to throw some things away. Okay? To throw some things that we'd rather not throw away away. And so let me just hit a couple of those ideas uh, and then let you go. Let me just say, I do not think Jesus is really calling us to dismember ourselves literally. Please do not do that. Um, But he is calling us to do some things that will be as difficult in some ways, almost. First, throw away your pride. Throw away your pride. If this is an issue for you, if you're really struggling with it, confess that struggle to somebody you can trust. Speak with a pastor. Confide in a really close friend. You're going to find compassion in both places. Seek out a counselor. Call this number, 1-800-NEW-LIFE. 1-800-NEW-LIFE. You can speak there confidentially with a minister who actually specializes in sexual addiction issues. Secondly, throw away your triggers. Throw away the triggers that activate the impulse and that move you further. Dispose of any materials that you may have access to that trigger or feed this pattern. Avoid the aisles in the stores where they sell those magazines. Um, Close the cable or the internet account where that entanglement has happened for you. Pull out of peer groups where this kind of thing is accepted and maybe even glorified. Just do not hang out with those people. Uh, Install a filter on your computer. Um, I recommend one called Safe Eyes. You can find it on the internet, Safe Eyes. It will help protect you and others in your house. Thirdly, throw away your isolation. Throw away your isolation. Isolation is the hothouse environment for the development and nurture of sin of every kind. Okay? It's It's when Adam and Eve are alone in the garden... The serpent finds them, and, and, and they get into so much trouble. Uh, every form of sin or addiction feeds on isolation or loneliness. So consider joining a specialized group. There are many of them out there that deal with this particular issue. Come talk to me or one of the pastoral staff. will help you get connected. Um, get into a men's small group of a regular kind. It will make a difference. A place where you can talk safely about these things. I'll never forget one of the guys I had in, a, in, in one of my groups many, many, many years ago. And, he, and one day he shares with the guys in our group, you know, I, this week I drove three times past a strip club. And everybody was looking awkward. And he could see that we were feeling awkward. And he said, oh, oh, no, guys. This isn't a confession. This is a celebration. Because before I got in this group, I would have gone in there every time. I'm just praising God that he's giving me the strength through this circle to to live a different way. Finally, throw away your false solution. Author Frederick Buechner once observed that lust is the craving for salt of a man dying of thirst. Lust is the craving for salt of a man dying of thirst. The problem with lust, women and men alike, is that it is this insidious substitute for what we really need. 
The more we give into it, the thirstier we get. We think it's another sexual rush that we need, but what we're thirsty for is real love. Pursue real love with real people. Pursue real love with a real community of love. Pursue real love with the God of love. You see, the way of truth and our Heavenly Father is all about living on the left side of that chart. Don't you want to live there? Raise your hand if you want to live on the left side of that chart. With God's help and with the encouragement we can give to each other, we can. We can. May God bless to us this reflection upon his holy word. And may he help us to grow more and more in the image of he who is our heavenly father. Amen.